United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Well, joining us now is Dr. Gordon Peake, a senior advisor for the Pacific Islands and United States' Institute of Peace's Asia Center. He joins us now. Dr. Gordon Peake, how are you? Good, Laura. How are you? Um, uh, I've got my kids. I've got my kids getting shipped out to school in the background, so hopefully not too much background noise as this goes <laughs> Oh, I welcome it here. Believe me, my kids at some point in time will come in and tell me to go pack their lunch, and I'll go, "Yeah, I'm doing a radio show right now." They're going to go, "Nah, can you just go ahead and do it for us? Thank you so much." So believe me, yeah. any background <laughs> noise, I welcome. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, listen, there is a lot happening right now, including the fact that Vice President Kamala Harris is obviously overseas. She's at that COP28 um, summit. And at first, by the way, President Biden was not was not going to attend at all. Then they sent her. Can you give me I mean, a little bit behind that? I know you're not a, a political um, partisan in that area, but was it surprising that we weren't going to have a, a representation there? I mean, I mean, sorry. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, and no. Yes, and no. I mean, you've got uh, uh, climate envoy John Kerry is over there. You've got a very, very mm-hmm. high level delegation from the United States coming. I think the vice president's uh, presence there is a sign that the United States, like all countries, Laura, are really starting to take climate change seriously because what's gone, I think, from being a uh, kind of a you know lower order news story is moving into probably the the biggest news story of our time um it it happens to the it's happening in the united states it's happened in the united states is pacific island like hawaii um we all need just remember the you know the fires that took place in maui earlier on this year you're right i mean the year moves so fast we sometimes forget about these things and it's of real concern to pacific island countries that it probably do the least to contribute to climate change they're probably getting the biggest uh the biggest brunt of it. I mean, 50,000 Pacific Islanders each year are d- displaced, $1 billion in damage each year. These countries don't really have the, the capacity to absorb these changes. And the fact that Vice President Harris is coming uh, to COP, I think, is a powerful sign that the United States and all countries indeed are, are, are taking it seriously. The big question now is we recognize it's a problem. We recognize the world is, is heating up too quickly for all our liking. The big challenge now is who's going to pay for all this. Certainly. And and of course, as you mentioned, those who contribute perhaps the least to climate change getting the brunt of it. You mentioned 50,000 in terms of displacement annually due to climate and disaster related events. That's a, a pretty large number that I think people don't necessarily realize is happening. When they're being displaced, what is the cause? Is it very direct or is it over time? Is it water level? What is it? So I think it's a whole bunch of things. So it's like water level. So if you're living by the by the the uh, by the sea and and the water is rising, that's going to impact upon your 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 the, the place where you live. I spent a bunch of time in uh, in the Marshall Islands earlier on this year, and there's whole swaths of those these pretty small islands where you see abandoned houses because people are actually no longer able to live in them because the sea has risen. Uh, so much. It's also to do with the fertility of the soil. So um, if you're not able to plant your plant your crops, like breadfruit, something that uh, that people have been traveling over the Pacific Islands, you know, Captain Cook and the 
the people from the bounty used to go over in order to bring it back um back back in the day like you can no longer plant breadfruit in lots of the pacific islands because of the of the salinity levels uh of the water and also people are are um cultural heritage sites are going are going under as well so it's a real whole host of um reasons and one of the things laura is that in a lot of pacific island countries particularly these kind of atoll nations where you you if you're standing in the middle you look left and you look right you can see the sea on both sides there's not a lot of places for people to go and who is going to pay for that and that because that's the when you think about that the powers that be are likely the ones who have a extraordinary incentive to continue whatever they're doing that might cause climate change to be increasingly desperate and detrimental for those who are less powerful than them so who ultimately pays yeah, this is the big this is the big question. This is not the million dollar question. This is the five point nine trillion dollar question, which is the amount of money that has been estimated that the world needs to put in in order to address uh, climate change. That means adaption to climate change. It means compensating uh, some of the people in the Pacific Islands and elsewhere um, uh, who have been affected uh, by that. And it's a kind of tussle that I think we're all familiar with in all of our politics, which is the focus on the everyday, the focus on what's happening today with the focus on kind of long range needs to to pay. So I, I said it's 5.9 trillion is estimated to be committed in order to kind of get the world a little bit back on track. Thus far, we've put about 1.2, 1.3 trillion in. So even with that, we're... Um, we're kind of we're 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 off track, and it's that sort of dilemma that's we're both in Washington D.C. It's that dilemma that's familiar here and also familiar in every world capital, where politicians grapple with the politics of today, the problems of today, and the problems that are kind of that are around the around the pike. And it's always that dilemma about how do you balance the present term and the future term. So the approach the U.S. is taking right now in terms of climate change. Is it on the appropriate trajectory compared to other nations? And obviously it has to be a, it can't just be one country that's invested. It has to be a collective effort. Do we, do we have the type of approach that will, one, garner support from other nations and two, be effective in the long run? So I think you're right. I mean, it's this kind of like we all need to hold hands together on this in order to make it effective. No one country can kind of go it alone. I think the Biden administration has put it together a really good package of of initiatives for um that relate to climate change so it had a big has a big pacific partnership strategy that it announced last year where a lot of money is being put into climate adoption um then it gets kind of snarled up in in uh, in congress and uh and it's one of the sort of the tussles that's going on in congress at present um for I me mean, for all for all funding um, about how much is going to get, how much the Biden administration has requested that is going to make, is going to make, um, it's going to, it's going to uh, go through. But it's also a kind of money can do a lot of things, as we all know in our, in our own lives. But also saying no to things um, is going to be really important as well. So putting money in is really important, but money solves all problems, doesn't solve all of them. And one thing that the United States and all other large emitters like like China, uh, increasingly India, you know, European countries, Australia, where where I'm a citizen of, need need to grapple with is it is uh, fossil fuel use that causes that is a major contributor to climate change. So we can put all the money in that we want, and that's really important. That's an important part of the 
equation, but we also need to try to tamp down uh, the use of fossil fuels. And then you get into you get into interests of uh, of you know oil 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 and gas and um, and also the the way that we're all used to living living our lives that we can kind of flick a flick a switch and the electricity is is going to be is going to be on. When you look at, I mean, that's, and I don't want to go backwards, by the way, seeing I've camped a lot in my life and I really do like the flick of a switch. Let me me just be very clear about that aspect of it. But let me ask you. I'm not not a camper, but I, but I, but I do. do. (laughs) Trust me. I, I would like to keep things as is, although I would like to think about the future, obviously, because I'm, I'm a mom and, and I'm a human being and I want earth to, to be able to sustain and be here for a very long time and usable. But I just wonder how much the politics, and when you, when you lay it out, it seems quite clear. And then you've, of course, got that murkiness of politics that comes into play. I wonder really quickly, do you think the fact that people are really having more tangible views of climate change, will that change opinions? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the politics everywhere is as murky as the ocean as the ocean depths. I mean, I think it is becoming more and more something that was in the rearview mirror kind of way back down the highway that we sort of noticed but weren't paying full attention to is something is becoming really, really real. You know, that objects in the real rearview mirror are closer than they appear. Well, it's right up to our rearview mirror now. And I think the, the challenge for all of us, for for us as parents, for um, for for our elected leaders, for everyone that kind of concerns about the future of this planet, is to figure out how do we balance that short term that we all have with the kind of long term needs of of our families and and our future and uh, and our planet once once we're once we're once we're gone, um, but once that where our children will still be around. Really important to hear your perspective today. Thank you, Dr. Gordon Peake. You, you're free to go take your kids to school now. Have a great day. Permission <laughs> accepted. Thanks, Laura. Great to talk to you. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.